Welcome to the One New Man Network from Kirtlandry Ministries at House of David, where we learn about the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. The following is a replay of a previous service. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We want to welcome all the online community joining us tonight here in Fairland, Oklahoma. Welcome all the Kurt Landry Ministry partners who make this possible for this broadcast, and we thank you so much. Hallelujah. Tonight we're going to, uh, I believe my assignment is for an impartation of the really chapter one and two uh, of my new book, Reclaiming Our Forgotten Heritage. Uh, we had an interesting thing happen this week, and we can give a shout on this, and a lot of it has to do, and to thank you for all your help, is uh, Reclaiming Our Forgotten Heritage, and this is on Amazon here, and it says, How to Understand the Jewish Roots of the Christian Faith Can Transform Your Faith, and on Amazon, it is the number one released book in Jewish theology. So, that's a good start. That's a good start, and we, we praise the Lord for that, and uh, we're excited that we're having a good start with the book. We're believing great things. We're just trusting the Lord, but I do thank you, so let's give you a hand clap, all of you that have pre-ordered. The, the, the pre-ordering is, uh, is important because it deter that's what determines the Christian bookstores and and the uh, other stores to how many books they actually order in the beginning. It depends on the pre-sales. So whatever you can do to help us on the pre-sale, like, you know, order, you know, four or five hundred, that'd be good. And uh, whatever the Lord inspires you to do. You know, I never, uh, I never dreamed. I know when we first got saved and we started sharing our testimony, people would say, uh, well, you need to write a book, and, and because it's interesting subject matter, and so here we are, 29 years in ministry, and we have our first book. So many of my friends have, like Ron Phillips, I think he has 375 books, and you know, I mean, just, they just pop them out like chickens and eggs, but this book is very personal to me. And I never knew I was going to get such the honor of the Lord to be able to take the things that the Lord has taught me very personal and put them into a written form as a legacy. And, and it's really something because every time I have to handle the manuscript, like what we're going to do tonight, and, and then basically consolidate the nuggets from the first two chapters to be able to release it to you, um, I believe there's really impartation like what's going to happen tonight is through this whole book. I want to say this as a pastor for 18 years now at House of David and ministering all over the world and just about every continent. More importantly, being in business and for 40 years working in the corporate world I've seen a lot of people suffer. I have been blessed on my journey to be around a lot of very successful people. 
I've been blessed to be around presidents and prime ministers and kings, and I've seen a lot of people. But what I'm getting ready to share with you brings more purpose, more joy than being any of those things I just mentioned. Because the revelation of your heritage, your biblical heritage of who you are in the Creator, and the revelation of your identity and your call, when you can bring those two together, the sooner that can happen, the sooner you'll start living a supernatural life with joy. It doesn't mean that you won't have problems, but it means that you will become an overcomer with the problems instead of a victim. So I want to talk to you about heritage first in a legal term because we're going to go into the courts of heaven and we're going to connect you with your heritage tonight. Amen? Is that okay? Heritage is property that is descended from an heir. It's not something you earned. It is something that you receive because it's your birthright. Heritage is the battlefield that's part of our heritage to preserve our life. I'll never forget being raised by my adoptive father, Ray Landry, as a master marine sergeant to landings Guadalcanal. He didn't talk much about the war, but he did teach us as children that freedom's not free. And that we have a responsibility to uphold the heritage of that freedom and the lifestyle that we get to enjoy here in the United States of America. Heritage is passed down through not just a birthright, but through traditions, beliefs, inheritance, and legacy. From a biblical standpoint, in Romans chapter 8, Verse 17, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This isn't in your notes. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him together. When I was given the assignment to write this book and the discussions were going on with the publisher, Thomas Nelson, I had to go deep into my history. And it was interesting because I was raised in a neighborhood that was Catholic and Jewish. So I went to parochial school, but I went to Jewish Boy Scout camp. And I was able to glean from the lifestyles and the traditions of both lifestyles, not knowing that the Lord was going to make me an apostle of the one new man. But I can see the values on both sides of the equation, but also the weaknesses and the, and the faults in both sides. And what I really see here is that when you read what Paul was speaking to the Romans, a Jewish rabbi, a Pharisee's Pharisee, a very educated dual citizenship 
Jewish man, the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking to them, they get the suffering part, but they don't get the glory part. And because of the religious spirits that came from, from that town, from Rome, from the battles of Constantine and the councils of Constantine and Elvira and Nicaea, there was a battle to separate the church, so all they had left was suffering, but not the glory. And, and the big challenge is, is the reason that the church has never tapped into the glory is because they assume that all the glory is about a feeling and goosebumps that we have when certain music is played or a certain feeling they get that is their soul experiences in its spiritual environment. And that is part of it, but that's a small part of glory. So the Lord was sharing with me, he says, I want you to write this book, to call my people back to me. And I realized that where we had to start in the book was, you have to understand your heritage before you can understand your identity. Identity is the fact of being who or what you are. It's just a fact. If you live in anything other than the fact of who you've been created uh, for by God, you live in a counterfeit identity, and your life will always lack. You'll have confusion. It will shorten your life, and you'll live in sickness and disease because of that simple thing that you have never invested the time to find out who you are in Him. The Scripture says that in Romans, it says that we would be glorified together. How are we glorified? What does that mean to be glorified with God? That means that we become the new man with him. I think the best way for me to, we're in the holiday season, and I'm sure some of you are going to watch the Ten Commandments. I know we just got done watching Ben-Hur. And I really enjoy seeing Charlton Heston because Charlton Heston, whether he's Ben, Hur, or Moses, whenever God comes on the scene, he has the same look in all the movies. As soon as Jesus comes or it's God, it's this, and the walk changes. And everyone thinks, well, that's the glory. But the glory was so strong on Moses in the Bible that he had to be veiled because people couldn't look upon him. That is also the glory. But the glory is to bring praise and honor to God. But when you bring praise and honor to God and the glory is on you, it creates you in a different distinction. You don't look like everybody else. What you carry separates you from those who don't carry the glory. The glory brings brilliance. It brings magnificence. It brings witty inventions. It brings cures to disease. It is the height. It literally translates out in the Hebrew. It's the height of all prosperity. Somehow in our religious world, we don't associate glory with great wealth and abundance. But glory, first mentioned in the Bible, is about wealth. Glory is also about achievement. 
Glory is about deliverables. Glory is about the splendor of the Lord. The glory is about the beautification that comes into a person's life where you can see the happiness of a person on earth as it is in heaven. These are all tangible things. The glory comes when identity and purpose unite with the heritage and it creates a new creation. I believe that's the glory that was on Esther when she went into the king. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, it says this, Therefore, remember... I want to stop at those two words because what the Apostle Paul was doing, speaking to the church at Ephesus as a Jewish rabbi, speaking to these Greek believers in Yeshua as Messiah, he's saying, you have forgotten your heritage. And because you have forgotten your heritage, you are now trying to do religion based off feelings and not out of facts of your inheritance. You are doing religion based off what you think is going to please your gods to get what you need, which is the opposite of heritage because heritage has to do with who you are, not what you get. You already have what you need. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcised, but is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off was brought near by the blood. What he's saying is that you have no heritage, no citizenship, and it is spiritually illegal for you to go into the courts and defend yourself and ask for anything because you are basically aliens. You have no right with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who you were before. And when Jesus came, the blood of Jesus came and removed the middle wall of separation, creating one new man from the two, no longer locked out from the inheritance. So can I say it this way? He's saying to them, why in the world won't you transform into your inheritance instead of being lured by all these other gods here in Greece? Why are you so easily snared by these idols and these statues and the witchcraft? Why don't you invest your time transforming your mind, believing who you are in him? And that's why he has to say, remember. Matthew chapter 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall. It was found on the rock. 
I want you to go in your Bibles to James chapter 1, and we're going to read James chapter 1, 21 and 23, and it says this, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Why does he say lay aside? Because if you don't lay it aside, it skews, it filters, it hinders the way you think about yourself. You have to purposely repent and lay it aside and receive meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. That's what's happening here tonight. Verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, or deceiving yourself. Can, can I say this? A large majority of Christians worldwide are deceived because they are hearers, but they're not doers. The remnant are the doers. And it's easy to spot a doer not by what they do, but who they have become doing what he asked them to do. In my life, I can meet someone, and within two minutes, I can tell if they're spiritually the real thing or not. I don't need a resume. I don't need to know you for two years to know you're either the real thing or not. Why? And it's not, well, you're a seer in the spirit. Yes, I do have that gift. It's not that gift that lets me see you. It's there is an inner witness in my spirit when I get near you that, that we're part of the same heritage. Just like I can spot those who are Pharisees and you are hearers because you're always spouting off all these things you hear with a critical spirit. You become a referee because you feel guilty that you're not doing so you criticize everyone else. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his face in a mirror. What's that mean? He's just seeing the flesh. See, the heritage and the identity and the whole purpose for reclaiming your forgotten heritage is to take you on a journey to where you can See beyond what you see in the mirror and see what God sees. I need you to go to Job chapter 3, verse 25. Be patient now with yourself and track with me. And review these notes. And this is a message you're going to want to listen to two or three or five times. Now this is Job chapter 3, verse 25. But I want you to listen to the principle. Because he was, Jesus was talking to them about, you hear what I'm saying, but you're not doers. But in verse 25 of Job chapter 3, it says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I had dreaded has happened to me. That's a spiritual principle. You meditate on it, you think it, you'll speak it, and it will happen to you. Whether it's fear-driven, fear moves Satan. Faith-driven, faith moves God. So when you hear and don't do, 
fear stops you from doing. Hello? So what you fear has come upon you, which means your heritage in your biblical promises and covenants and oaths that God is yes and amen, they don't manifest because they won't come through the door of fear into the earth. They only come through the door of faith. Now I want you to go to Proverbs 23 and 7. Proverbs 23 and 7. For as, a, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. So the heritage and the identity has to go beyond the brain, but into the ownership of the heart where you become that which he said you have become. And it's the anointing, it's the Christ, the Christos, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke off the false identity from the garden and the iniquitous sin structures and the bloodline. It's the anointing that breaks it so that the glory can be received into your house. Depending on what your experience is in business, you can believe and have conversations about different things. It just depends what's in your mind, what's in your experience. I can talk to some people in business and they're starting out and $5,000 is an insurmountable amount. And they're praying and asking God, and there's no shame in that. You have to start somewhere. But then there are business people that I work with, and uh, they are talking about marketing and trading things at hundreds of millions of dollars. And it rolls off their tongue just like if it was $5,000. Why? It's because it's where they live. They didn't get there overnight. They got there on a journey, but the journey won't start until you start participating in the journey. So you can't be hearers only, you have to be doers. And it's the same principle in spiritual life. There is a crawl, walk, run in business, and there is a crawl, walk, run in the spirit. So Jesus says, we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. You have to have word in you. The word is tested by trouble and that testimony of overcoming becomes your new identity and the power to receive the new identity comes from your heritage or inheritance. Deuteronomy chapter six, one and two. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe, see, teach, hearing, observe, doing them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, 
that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I have commanded you that you and your sons and your grandsons all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Why do you think when God started bringing them into this land, he started out with circumcising the men and then celebrating Passover? Because in the wilderness experience, they had lost their heritage. Many of you are in that same situation. Many of you, when you come here and you go into the immersion pool, the reason it's so emotional, why? I mean, why should that be any different? I mean, you obviously either have a pool at your house or occasionally you go on vacation and there's a swimming pool and you go in and come up and everything's fine and dandy. But man, you go in that water over here, it's not the water, it is the spiritual assignment to circumcise your heart to kill that which stole your inheritance. And even if you don't understand it, you're feeling it. Grown men. Crying like a baby. See, the iniquitous structure in our bloodline, when we don't deal with it, it it's passed on to four generations. When you clean the bloodline and you align with God, the blessings for a thousand. If you won't do it for you, do it for your, for your family. I want to talk to you about when he says statutes and judgments. What he's saying is if you'll follow the instruction, you'll receive the blessing. When you come out from under the instruction, you'll pay the price of not following the instructions. It's called judgment. That's not popular teaching these days. I, I don't really care that it's not popular because if you have common sense in any area, whether it's consumer electronics, whether it's science, whether it's math, whatever it is that you do, there are checks and balances, there is instruction, and to the degree that you follow the instruction is to what the results you get. Sports, it doesn't make any difference, but it's the same thing with spiritual life. People perish for lack of knowledge of understanding the instruction. It's not legalism, it's called wisdom. Eventually, you'll get tired of suffering from all the sickness and poverty and the lack and realizing you'll either let the lack, sickness, and poverty steal your faith and you'll doubt God, or you'll eventually repent and say, no, Lord, I'm going to do it your way and allow him to manifest his covenant and be a witness for him. And this doesn't happen overnight. He's saying here, sons and grandsons, it passes on to generations. So the way he does this is by he commands us to teach these to the next generation. He puts statutes, feasts, enactments and teaching tools, Sabbaths, and all these biblical heritage are there for the generation to know who they are, to protect their identity, to carry on the legacy. Do you know to create real wealth in the world, it takes three generations? 
But typically on the third generation, they lose the wealth because they've forgotten the heritage. If you're going to carry on the heritage, then you have to behave and have the same thoughts and patterns of the patriarch who gave you the inheritance. Is this helping anyone? This is real practical because this is really how it works. The reason the, the business mountain is going to have such a revival is because they'd be shouting right now if they could listen to what I'm saying. They, because I can, when I got saved, that's, I, I wanted to find out there's got to be a way if you have the creator of the universe who is giving you inside information through the Holy Spirit, you should have to be able to do this business thing better than what we were doing through neurolinguistics and all the other things, the cutting edge of the day. So I went on a journey. And I can tell you, I found it. And it's in the book. God is not a man that he should lie. But just like you had to pay a price to get an MBA or a doctorate, you're going to have to pay a price to find God's ways because anything that is worthwhile having is worthwhile fighting for. And when you start down this, this pattern and you start down this trail, that's when the battle starts with the enemy. Deuteronomy 6 and 6 and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in the house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And you shall, uh, they shall be fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. That's what Joshua did. God gave Joshua the commandment in Joshua 1.8, Moses is dead, and now do this. Meditate on the word of God day and night. Be of good courage so that you might be of great success. Why would you invest time, energy, and money meditating on things that will transform you into Greek thinking and transform you into what they can enslave you with when you can be transformed by the word of God into the likeness of the creator of heaven and earth? That's an easy decision but very few make it. Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So you have to build up spiritual children in the identity and their heritage. So they need to know, and I'm speaking to you pastors and you Bible teachers and all those that are watching, you need to raise up your congregations, those in your, in your Bible school, those, you need to raise them up what was. Because if you don't know what was, how can you be connected to what is? And you need to be able prophetically saying, if you'll learn from what was, then you'll have a different what is, and you'll definitely have a different what is to come. 
Because see, what God did with Joseph, he'll do with David. What God did with Abraham, he'll do with Lauren. And what God did with Paul, he'll do with Jim. Doesn't make any difference. He's no respecter of persons. Why is that? Because the law of the universe that governs the law on earth does not change. And what causes this world to dysfunction is sin because the wage of sin is death. It will not just physically kill you, but it kills every good idea as well. Is this helping anyone? Is this clear enough? Heritage is the primary passing down through traditions, activities, values, and holidays. It starts out with a three-year-old lighting a candle, saying, thank you, Jesus. Going to the next candle and saying, my God is a God of miracles. And then the next sentence, next saying is, do I get my present now? <laughs> but that's a three-year-old. But the God of miracles, the seed is planted. Now I have a question. And the question was this, and I'll be honest with you, they... This is one of the areas that they said, we're not sure we want to put this part in the book. So I had to prove the statistics that I'm going to read to you here, that they were a fact and how important it was. And I basically insisted that we were going to have it in the book. But they were worried about maybe being offensive. But it's in the book. And I'm going to read it to you in a minute. But the question was this. The way we think about wealth and money determines our character to create wealth. If you are taught that wealth is a tool and a reward and a gift for the righteous. Or you may come from a poverty spirit. And maybe around your kitchen table, all they said was, well, I don't know how in the heck they got that money. But if you were raised in a house of poverty and everybody that was rich was being criticized, how they must have lied, cheated, and stealed, stole. And so all that activity is going around. It's where you're, you're raised in a family that is anti-wealth and anti-rich. Then you're going to have to get set free because down inside of you, there's something that says that if I become wealthy, somehow I'm not righteous or right. So the key to it is there is a character to create wealth, but it comes from your identity and your heritage that you have been created to create wealth. That that is God's will. God's will is that this is not a prosperity message. This is a creation covenant message. God created you to create wealth, but to create it his way. 
The problem is when people with a poverty spirit and an orphan spirit go out and get wealth, since they haven't reconciled their identity and their heritage, then they become mass manipulators, liar, cheaters, and stealers. And the mass manipulating, lying, cheater, and stealers with the orphan spirit that aren't creating wealth, they create wealth for their personal identity, so it's their glory, not God's. But when you understand your inheritance and your identity, your ability to create wealth comes through a whole different filter. And I pray that when you read this book and you go through the exercises in this book that you actually get set free from that. Because the key to wealth is know that God wants you to have it and your identity and how to get it. Then you'll quit striving. It will just come to you. I'm not saying you don't have to work hard. But it will come to you. Now this was the controversial part of the book. But we got past it and I'm sure glad that we put it in. Economic statistics certainly seem to bear this observation out. While the percentage of Jewish people or Jews in the United States is somewhat between 1.7 and 2.6%, 20% of the top 50 billionaires in the United States are Jewish. Now that's a fact. I think a good question would be to say, why? I'm going to tell you why. And the Pew Research has found that American Jewish households are significantly better off financially than the other groups with 44% having an annual income of $100,000 or more, only 16% of the smallest percentage making less than 30,000. Even the wealthiest Christian group, the Episcopalians, have significantly few people in the top rankings at 36%, while their group at the bottom is slightly larger at 17%. Sadly, when you look at a more evangelical denominations like the Assembly of God and their higher, highest tier of earners are much much smaller at 10%, and the lower tier represents nearly half their members. Something got messed up. And there'll never be a solid one new man until we undo this. Because in society, that big a gap of have and have nots creates wars. So why the difference? Knowing a number of Jews and Christians in these groups, this is me speaking, the only thing I can put my finger on is that Jews grew up significantly different beliefs about money. Now, I didn't say this in the book, but I'm going to say it to you because I didn't want to push this subject anymore. I was glad I got that in there because it proves my point. But I'm going to tell you why. During the curses of the councils of Elvira and Nicaea, and someone who was raised in parochial school, okay, we were taught that if you're truly righteous, then you'll take a vow 
of poverty. And that filtered all through the Catholic community where I was raised. Chastity, poverty, no sex, and no money. It's probably why I didn't stay with them. Come on now. That is in the filter. Because see, in the back of your identity, if you think somehow it's evil to be financially blessed, then how can you receive a heritage? I don't want anything unless I work for it. Now, I'm going to give you the scripture they build this off. Just one. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You have to remember, I have a distinct advantage. I was raised in both systems. I'm also an ex-32nd degree Mason, if you'd like to know about them. See, the Lord allowed those things so I could communicate to you from experience and knowledge and not out of a book. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and here's where it goes, yet for your sake he became poor. Poor Jesus. So that you, by his poverty, they leave this part out, might become rich. They just stop at the poor part. So how did he become poor? He left heaven and eternity sitting at the right hand of his father to come to this nasty place called earth. That's poor. He never lacked on earth. He couldn't lack. He's the seed of Abraham. He is the covenant promise of God. But that's where it got twisted. You need to untwist it in your mind. Poverty is a curse. Sickness is a curse. And the reason people can't get out of poverty and they don't get out of sickness is because they identify it more than what their inheritance says. Didn't we read the scripture? As a man thinketh, so he is. You have to be on a journey that you're going to Understand your heritage and then transform your identity into thinking like that heritage. It's not hard. You could do it. Look at your neighbor and say, I can do this. And the Holy Spirit's in you to do it. Amen? Now in John 10.10, this is one of my favorite scriptures. It's not in your notes. The thief, Satan... He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus came to make you rich. Jesus came to give you life more abundant. Jesus came to fulfill his covenant promise through you that you would be a witness that if you follow the instruction you look like pre-garden fall. 
Because when you're actually born again, filled with the Spirit, renewing your mind, you are operating in all the promises before the fall in the garden. Come on now, this isn't religious. I'm giving you the facts. Doesn't mean that everyone has to be billionaires and millionaires. Don't get caught up. This isn't about money. This is about being the witness that God has called you to be. Are you provoking your neighbors to jealousy? Your job as Christians is to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Deuteronomy 18 and 8 and 18. This isn't in your notes either. Sorry. Kind of had a last minute download after I'd already sent the notes to Piper. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers to this day. Can we go out there and take a 30,000 foot view at this? Do you think that if the church in the United States was operating in ex, ex, uh, abundant wealth and unity, you think we would have lost our inner cities to welfare? Welfare is like drugs. Doesn't do anything but prolong the death. It's just a painkiller. And if you're on poverty, I'm not trying, I mean, on welfare, I'm not trying to offend you. There's different reasons. But I want to challenge you to get off it. Not right now. Don't go home and like cut the check up and burn it in the fireplace. People do crazy stuff like that. You just, let's be practical here. But you have to start realizing that every time you cash that check, you are a welfare recipient. That's your identity. You're reinforcing it every time you sign the back of that check, every time you take that food stamp. Now, if the church would have done its job in regards to humanitarian aid and charity and education in the community, then people would be coming for food and help and instruction And the love of God on those giving the instruction would attract them to the light. And you wouldn't be putting a Band-Aid on things, you'd be fixing them. Welfare is a political scam to control voters. It is not motivated to help the poor. It is a political tool to get votes. Come on, are we going to grow up or not? And the reason it's corrupt is because we have been called as the church. It's our job. It's not our government's job. But we can't do the job because we don't know how to manage the wealth. And when you don't know how to manage the wealth biblically, then you have to create something called tax. And tax is not fair. Come on. That's why God is bringing judgment into the tax system, because it's not balanced scales. What's happening right now, this isn't Trump's fault, and I'm not defending him or anything. What's happening right now in the stock market is the Fed's fault. 
Because as a businessman, I know that if they're going to start going nuts on the interest rates, that's going to affect the venture capital money more than anything, and that's what runs the market. Hello. But yet, these talking heads can say whatever they want, and everyone goes, oh, it's him, he did it. He's not that powerful. Even as the president, he's not that powerful when it comes to money. Money reacts to facts. People react to emotion. And those that make the money with the money know how to predict the emotion because they create the crisis in order to make it go up and down to fleece you. Am I being too real here? Or? You know, I mean, when, if the church is going to move into the seven mountains, you might want to know how the mountains work. Now, you're going to have to extend yourself grace, and you're going to get this in the book. But you're in an identity crisis. Once you start to say, I want my heritage, people look at it as like the publisher's clearinghouse. It's not. God is not going to release your inheritance until your character lines up to the level of inheritance he can trust you with. So I'm going to give you an example. Let's talk about Peter. Everyone loves Peter. Peter is pretty bold about who he was and what he was going to do. Matthew 14, 72. And a second time the rooster crowed and Peter uh, called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought of it, he wept. So Peter thought his identity was one place. But his identity was in the midst of an identity crisis because he had bold speech, but yet he wasn't strong enough in his beliefs to bet his life on it. Now, why am I talking to you about this, and why is this in the book? Craig will relate to this. He's coming out of managing his own business. He worked for another corporation, and now He's a political, he's a chief of a, of a tribe here in Oklahoma. And now he's having to manage the, the tribe's money, you know, obviously with his boards and things. But these numbers are a lot bigger than when he was in his own business. But now all of a sudden there's this thing called risk. Risk management. Boy, it's a lot easier to talk about the tribe's money when you were just a member in the tribe. It's easy to armchair quarterback. Oh, man, they should be given in this. Why didn't they get back in that? Well, they should have done this. You know, and it's wonderful because they're not signing on the document. They're not bonding for it. They're not going to take the blame and all the phone calls when you make a choice and it tanks. That's why when you do business by yourself without God and you tank, it's all on you. Because it's between you and you and you and your partner and you and whoever. And if you're going to tank, you tank. 
and you, you're the fool, and everyone says, oh, look at what happened. They lost all these investors' money, and all this stuff happened. But when you realize that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob created you for your business, and you're doing it according to his financial principles, then it's on God, not you. See, if Peter would have understood that if he wouldn't have denied him, even if he was killed, he would have been instantly with him. But instead, his whole life was scarred by, deny, by denying him three times. And you can see it in his writings and hear it. He was forgiven. He was transformed. But you can smell it. Kind of would have been better if he didn't deny him. If he would have taken the risk. Now I'm going to bring it back practical. If you're ever, whatever mountain you're in with the Lord, you're going to have to take risk. It's called faith. So that means you need to hear from God. You need to have confirmation from God. And your strategies and your plans need to be from God. Is this helping anyone? You need to have more trust in your heritage. The more you trust him and his heritage that you cannot fail with God, the only way you can fail is if you trust in you. This is a transforming. I'm almost done. John 21, 15, and 16. So now Jesus is restoring him. So when he had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. Verse 17. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will girt you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he spoke this, he said to him, follow me. And that's what happened. In those three deliverance words, he embraced his true identity and his heritage and his inheritance was to be a martyr. The highest call. The highest call. The highest call. So the one that denied him three times got elected for the highest call. But as I close, I'm going to go to Philippians 4 and 6. In the book, I share a test of personal testimonies of going through all these things. 
I share when the Lord shared with me that he was trusting me to be a martyr. He showed me when and where it would happen. And you'd say, boy, that is, that's pretty heavy duty. And it's like, no, that is very liberating and freedom because since I do know the information, when I go to other places, I don't fear about being taken out because I know that it's not my time. It brings liberty. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, and this is where I want to bring this to a close for you, whatever thing are true, God's word is true. Amen? If you ever need truth, read the Word. Just pick it up, flip it open if you have to, and start to read. There's no book like this. This Word is spirit and it's life. Whatever thing are true. Whatever thing are noble. Noble is the patriarchal heritage of righteousness and virtue that if God did it for Abraham, God did it for David, God did it for Esther, God did it for Deborah, God did it for Peter, God did it for Paul, God did it for Jesus, that he's going to do it for you. Have that noble thought. None of those I just mentioned were any bigger mess than you or I. Some of them, bigger messes than you or I. Whatever things are just, just is morally right and fair. God wants to balance the scales of your heart so he can fill your heart to overflowing. Whatever things are pure, pure means non-mixture. You need to make a decision this coming year. As you start your year off right, reading this book and going through the workbook, Make a decision that you're going to get all the mixture out of your mind. Start in your mind. Because you just, all of us think some things that are just self-destructive. There's just, there's, and, and as you get older, the more you realize, I can't believe I thought that. Let the Lord purify your mind and your thoughts. Whatever things are lovely. Lovely means exquisite, beautiful, extravagant. Do you think that God wants to bless you beautifully, extravagantly, abundantly? You know God is dating you? I was sitting in the breakfast room, being still. Christy had left to come to be at worship practice. And God sent me a beautiful sunset right across the lake. I can't wait in a few months. He's going to send us green grass and flowers. May they come sooner than later. 
You go to your tap and you turn on the water and the Lord sends you a drink of water. You look outside when the snow is falling and the thermostat on your house says 69 or 70 degrees or whatever you keep it at. He sent you warmth. Every good and perfect gift is from him. This time of the year, he's, he's really big on sugar cookies. <laughs> he's providing for you. And he wants to provide for you more. He wants to give you so much that you are forced to have to give it away to everybody that's around you. He says, if there's anything with virtue or anything that's praiseworthy. He says, meditate on that. Make a choice not to meditate on the problem that just came in on your phone. Meditate, oh, look at that sunset. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, that the God of peace will be with you. This is your year. God brought you here to House of David. God brought you here to Kurt Landry Ministries. It's no accident. He brought you here to reclaim your forgotten heritage. Because all of you have a bad heritage somewhere. I don't see Ozzie and Harriet's kids in the house tonight. God wants to connect you to your heritage. He tells you in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in your, in your womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet. If you would stand, please. Embracing your identity comes at a cost. I want to share with you a, a picture that was sent to me today from Israel. This happened earlier today. This young man here is what we call a lone soldier. A lot of people say, I don't, I'm not sure what that means, but... What a lone soldier means is that he's in Israel, he's in the army, and he has no family. And in Israel, you'll have soldiers that will come from the United States, and you have soldiers that come from Europe and Russia and Ukraine and Ethiopia, from all over, India. And these are Jewish boys and girls, and, and they feel called from God to tap into their heritage of protecting the people and the nation of Israel. It's a call. And this young man here, I'm not going to mention his name, but this young man here is the grandson of one of the most famous Orthodox rabbis in the United States. And the reason he's part of our program and he's an alone soldier is because 
His family disowned him because as Orthodox, they don't allow their children to go into the army. But the call of his identity to protect the heritage was stronger than the religious training he had as an Orthodox Jew. So he was willing to leave his family and become, he's a commander now. And uh, he's in the Golani Brigade, which is a brigade that we sponsor at Kurt Landry Ministries. And we were blessed to meet him when we were there filming here a few weeks or months ago. He could have stayed as the grandson of this celebrity, huge rabbi that comes with wealth, recognition, favor. All he had to do is go to yeshiva, and he's a shoe-in to become a chief rabbi of Israel. But because of his conviction of his identity, protecting the people and protecting the land was stronger, and he gave it all up. And now he's fixing Shabbat with 50 or 60 of his other soldiers that you feed every week. He would have no friends in the army if it wasn't for this dinner that you pay for. This is his point of connection. He paid the price. Some of you are going to have to pay a price to come out of the religious bondages. You may not be coming out of Orthodox Judaism, but you may be coming out of one of those traditional religious boxes that has hindered the way you look at yourself to be able to walk biblically in the fullness of what God has called you to do. Some of you are going to have to make a decision this year. I'm willing to give up the family tradition to embrace the biblical tradition. To be the one that saves my family from its religiously cursed self. Now, don't, don't tell me that you can't do it because... This one standing right here did that for our family. And the beautiful part of the story is before all of our relatives who cursed us, before they all went to be with the Lord, they all reconciled with us, were born again, and they're now in heaven. Every one of them, come on. But what Christy went through is no different what this young man's going through. And it's the same thing I went through with my family. But praise God, the blessings now are for a thousand years. God wants to transform you.
You just have to say yes. And the biggest thing is you, have to, you can't get on the right path until you understand that you're on the wrong path. When you think you have it all figured out, come on. That thinking you're right is what holds you from being right. And when you defend your position, if you have to defend your position, then it's not the Lord. See, when you're secure in your identity, you know that part of your heritage is, though he slay me, I will praise him. You need to know that no man and no demon can put a label on you. It won't stick. Because you've already heard from him. You're not concerned what others say or do because they have no power because he spoke into you. And you're not willing to trade what he deposited in you for what they're saying that's coming outside upon you. Don't give them the authority. Choose to forgive them. I want you just to put your hands out and close your eyes. And make a quality decision tonight that you're going to embrace your heritage. And you're going to allow that heritage to start shaping your personal identity. Free from lack and sickness and poverty. And Lord, I speak freedom from all bloodline curses. All demonic idolatry, hexes and vexes. All generational curses. We just cancel them in the courts of heaven now in Yeshua's name. And Lord, I thank you for releasing ministering angels to release the understanding of the Jewish roots of the faith. To transform your faith from faith into covenant and from covenant into trust. And trust into heritage, heritage into inheritance and inheritance into legacy that you would become the living temples of the Most High God, places of his glory. The Lord says he wants to glorify you. He wants his glory. You just need to say, say, Lord, I humbly receive your glory within me. I, re I resist all fear and worthlessness that says I'm not worthy. I receive your glory through the blood of Jesus that has qualified me to be a carrier of your glory. And I receive it in Yeshua's name. Now, I just want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask the worship team. We're going to. We're just going to allow this to be sealed in praise. Okay? This is done for you online on the program, you watching this on the archives. I just want you to lift your hands. I don't know what song they're going to uh, lead out in. The Lord will show them. But I want you to take this song and these words 
like putting a cork in a wine bottle. You know, after they put the cork in, then they dip the bottle in hot wax and it seals that cork into the time that it is to be open. And you say, Father God, I put a cork in my soul and I seal that which is good, pure, holy, just and true and of good report. I seal it in my soul and let the fire now of the Holy Spirit melt holy wax and seal it into the identity of this vessel that I might carry your glory all the way into heaven until I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I seal it in Yeshua's name. Now just stay in the spirit and we're gonna proclaim this song together. Joy. 
I just pray a blessing over you. I hope for those of you that celebrate Christmas this time of the year that you have a Merry Christmas. This is always a time of year where you need fellowship. You need love. Don't isolate. The Lord quickens you to have someone to your house or be obedient to do it. But as Pastor Tim said, we know this isn't the actual birth of Jesus. We believe he was born at the Feast of Tabernacles, that he wasn't in a manger, he was in a sukkah. <laughs> we know all that. But if you haven't figured it out by now, House of David is a one new man church. Very few places that you can come and sing people here singing in Hebrew, speaking a Hebrew blessing, and then singing Christmas songs. But this is God's way. No one understood it 18 years ago when we started. But I want to personally invite you on January the 11th. We are going to dedicate House of David as the One New Man Embassy. We've got special guests coming in. We have Pastor uh, Romero Pena from the White House. He's coming and speaking a blessing from the United States government. We got Apostle John Benefield coming from Oklahoma City, the HEPN, speaking a blessing from the nations. We have not Dr. Nigel Bigpong coming from the First Nations, speaking a blessing and bringing a word. We've got Robert Henderson coming to bring this new dedication into the courts of heaven. And we have some others coming. It's gonna be a powerful time. I want you to come dressed, put on suits and nice dresses. It's an embassy. An embassy is a place you be to be sent from. We'll be commissioning all of those that you want to be commissioned into your job as ambassadors. It's a shift for the house and it's a shift for the members in the house and it's a shift for all of Kurt Landry Ministry partners. Chuck Pierce will be speaking a word. He sent it to us today. It's powerful, very confirming. He couldn't make it. And so he sent us a video of a word from him. He'll be speaking into the house as well. You're ambassadors now. See, that's a change of identity. But God called you to that. Comes with great benefits. Comes with some responsibility. But many of you are going to have the best year that you've ever had in your life. So you need to prepare for that. Amen. If you would stand, please. We're going to go out now in praise. If you please hug two or three or 20 people's necks, tell them you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord. So God bless you. Merry Christmas and Shabbat Shalom. Let's go out in praise. Thank you, Cass. Thank you for listening to this message from the One New Man Network. For more information, please visit us at theonenewman.com.